Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios in the win Las Vegas, and I've made a horrible mistake. I went to Twitter last night and I asked a serious question looking for serious responses, and as uh, Twitter tends to do, as the internet tends to do, I did not necessarily get the responses I was looking for, but that's okay because the idea is still good for this week. So what I wanted to do is uh, put together some do's and don'ts, tips and tricks, whatever you want to call it in regards to golf wagering. It's always good for me to kind of go back and um, really build the foundation every so often, make sure that my mind's in the right place, make sure that I'm checking off all of the boxes. And with an influx of, of new golf uh, gamblers and guys that are playing fantasy all the time. I thought this was a really good opportunity um, to, to revisit this. And a lot of these actually haven't really ever been visited, or at least on this channel, there hasn't been a natural place. And I figured uh, now is better than ever. So back to the, the Twitter thread. Got a lot of responses. Uh, about 60% of the responses were, were jokes. About 25 were tips in regards to... Uh, my actual golf game. I got some great short game tips, but that's not exactly what I was looking for when I was trying to find out what the single best uh, golf wagering tip that everyone knows is out there. And I imagine there's a little bit of um, coyness, you know, maybe not everyone wanting to to give out the best tip that they know, but in reality, we're not impacting each other. You know, the 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 bet that I make. Uh, here at the win or anywhere else is not impacting anyone and and vice versa. So let's start with the, the the boring stuff out of the gate, but just because it's boring doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, you could argue it's the most important. So tip number one, which I hate calling it tips, because if you type in golf betting tips into Google, what are you going to get? You're going to get tout sites, right? Like tipping a bet. So I hate to call it tips. Maybe we'll call it do's, do's and don'ts. I don't know. We'll figure out a topic for it later. But um, number one, out of the gate, know your goals. Sounds simple, way less simple in practice. Um, to me, there are three types of golf gamblers and gamblers in general. Uh, those that are, are, are doing it for fun, those that are doing it seriously, and those that are doing it professionally. So you've got recreation, you've got serious, and you've got profession. Um, having fun. This is probably the vast majority of people. They just want an opportunity to put 10, 20, 50, $100 down on a golfer and check back in four days and hopefully have something to root for. Uh, they are betting their favorite golfers. They're betting generally the favorites at the top of the board because they just want something to sweat later in the week. This is probably the most common, right? I hear this all the time. Somebody flies into Vegas, they're only going to be here for uh, a couple of days, so they head to uh, their sports book of choice and they put down $50 on their favorite golfer to win the Masters. Uh, that to me is very obviously recreational and that's okay because that is going to dictate what you do in step number two here, but we're still on step number one. Um, the odds to these people, if you fall into bucket number one, uh, the, the recreational player, the odds to you probably don't matter and they probably shouldn't matter, right? If you're betting Tony Finau at 11 to one to win the 3M Open or Rory McIlroy at eight to one to win the Open Championship, like it doesn't really matter. The, the odds don't matter because you're not keeping track of your progress. You're not doing anything. You're just looking to 
maybe hit a few winners a year and generally enjoy yourself while you watch the golf. Most people fall into this category or most people should fall into this category. Category number two, bucket B, those who take it seriously. Uh, this is a little bit more ill-defined. The way that I look at this, and this is to me the way, the, the bucket that I fall into, where I look at the board every single week. I assess the board. I determine what's important to me. I track my results. This is probably where if you fall into the serious bucket, the, the tracking of results ends up becoming a, a pretty big portion of it because I want to know, hey, am I good at picking outrights? Should I stick to matchups? Am I better at top tens? Um, which golfers have I lost the most money on? Which have I won the, won the most on? I want to know all of these things. So I have a spreadsheet in which uh, I put in all the odds, all the wagers that I've made, whether they won or lost, how much, et cetera, et cetera, for me to constantly hold myself accountable. I'm taking it seriously. I'm not doing it for a profession. I'm taking it seriously. Um, I have a plan. We'll get to that in a second of every single week, how I'm going to deploy my funds. And I care about the odds. I care whether I win or lose. I take it seriously. But it is not reliant on an income or for me to win or lose. It is still recreational in that aspect. So then the final bucket is obviously uh, those that are doing it professionally. This is likely a very, very small percentage of all people who are doing this, right? And if you're... and even smaller for those that are probably just uh, betting professionally on golf. That that I could probably count on two hands how many are actually doing that. If you're doing it professionally, you're probably covering uh, most sports, doing it year-round, finding edges in some of the more inefficient markets, so on and so forth. But that is reliant on making an income. Um, so again, are you doing this recreationally? Are you doing it seriously? Are you doing it professionally? All of them are okay. Just determine what works for you because that leads into number two. Make a plan. Have a plan. I'd rather you have a bad plan than no plan. I'd rather you execute properly on your bad plan than having no plan at all. And if your plan is wildly throw $100 wagers out on five golfers every week, fine. That's a plan. Uh, at least have one. And your goals are obviously dictating your plan here. So this includes things like how much are you willing to wager? Uh, how many bets do you want to make every single week? Will you save any of those bullets for live wagers? And how will you make your selections? That last point, critical. We'll get to that in just a second. But here's, here's, um, here's my plan, right? The way that I do this, and I've described this a couple of times, but uh, we'll just put put a kind of bow on this and make it easy with round numbers. Let's assume that every week I'm willing to wager $100 on golf bets. That could be matchups. It could be outrights. For the purpose of this, let's just talk outrights. Um, and every single uh, wager that when I win it, I want to win $1,000. Okay. Well, now I've got two parts of, I've got two variables of this equation. The final variable is uh, what, which golfer and what are his odds? So for example, if I'm going for uh, $100 each week and $1,000 to win on every bet, if there is a golfer who is uh, 10 to 1 and I want to win $1,000 on that golfer, I have to bet $100 on that golfer. Well, that's it. That's my whole week, right? That That's my whole card. I can make one wager 
it is on the golfer who is 10 to 1 to accomplish the other two variables that I have. Now, I break my plan if I bet the guy at 10 to 1 for $100, and then I find a guy at 50 to 1 for a couple a couple bucks more. I, I'm breaking my plan, so I've got to stick to the plan here. So I can't bet that guy. Uh, but what I could do is I could go find somebody at 50 to 1 and bet $20 on him. If that guy wins, it's $1,000. And now I still have $80 left to spend. It's why you'll see sometimes I have, or you'll hear me talk about it if I if somebody asks, like my card might be three golfers or it might be 10 golfers. Um, it kind of depends. Like um, the American Express, I think back, I, it was probably my biggest card ever. I think I had 10 or 12 guys on it, but they were all 100 to one odds or shorter. And it's why you'll often hear guys who say, well, I bet two guys in the 30s I can't bet anybody else until the 60s. Well, you can. It's not like they're physically not allowed to bet someone in between 30 and 60. It just doesn't work with the plan. Uh, that's why you'll hear people say that. And how you pick these golfers uh, is really the biggest part of the plan here. Are you just going to tail a tout? Not something that I recommend. Are you going to use your gut? Okay, sure. Are you going to use a stat website? Are you What stats are you going to look at? Is it recent form? Is it horses for courses? That was one of the big things that came up on Twitter. Everybody loves a good uh, course horse, right? Someone who has had success at that golf course before. So having some general plan of how you're actually going to select these golfers. Um, I, I like to look at it in a way that I've got my full sheet. You narrow it down to a short list. 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever that short list looks like for you, then you start finding reasons to not bet guys. And I like to cross guys off the list. And then basically what I have remaining, I try to piece that together into the puzzle that is my betting card. I like to cross guys off. Some guys like to do it the other way where they their short list is guys that they add on. I feel like that's a little bit more difficult my, my brain just doesn't work that way because once I have a guy on the list, I'm certainly not going to be taking him off the list, even though I should be. And I'm able to fool myself and kind of twist myself into knots if I'm adding guys to the list as opposed to removing guys off the list. But obviously to each their own, you've got to figure out what works best for you. For me, it's crossing guys off the list, generally with a red pen. Number three. This one, I think, does not get talked about a lot, and I'm starting to see this become more and more valuable now than ever. Uh, the idea is that if you're making a golf wager, specifically outrights, you want to be first or you want to be last. So I mean that by saying you want to be the first person who makes a wager on Monday morning when lines are released, or you want to be the last person to make a wager on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending on what time zone you live in. Uh, those are the two best times to put outright bets in. And I'm seeing it more important in recent weeks and months. So think about this. Why is being first good? Well, you get access to lines that you think are wrong, right? I, I mean, there's a perfect example where um, this week I, I pull, it was Tuesday, uh, I kind of wanted to bet Sahith Tigala for the 3M Open. I was I was ready to do that. I was ready to fire it. it I, I opened up uh, a, my sports book of choice, and I saw that he'd already been bet down to 18 to 1 from like 28. And now I had to decide, is 18 a number I'm willing to bet? The answer was no. But that's a decision I wouldn't have had to make if I was first because I would have gotten 
the 28 to 1. Uh, so being first allows you to pick through lines that you think are incorrect and be a first mover. Being last, I'd argue, is almost a little bit better. I've gotten myself into a, a, a situation where I'm doing content Monday. I'm doing content Tuesday. There's a lot of stuff going on on Wednesday. By the time I finally sit down and get all my stuff in, it might all, it might be Wednesday. And I'm starting to realize Wednesday night is maybe more advantageous than Monday morning. So being a last mover as opposed to a first mover gets you all the adjusted lines. So if you have a good, if you have a good sports book, what's happening is they're posting the lines on Monday. They're quickly moving on, on Monday, adjusting money's rolling in on Tuesday, money's rolling in on Wednesday, and they're constantly adjusting these odds. And they're looking at it and saying, Hey, um, we can make these longer, right? We can reset this a little bit. It happens all the time. It happens a lot during major championships. So it, it it's the reason that um, for the Open Championship, I ended up having two bets on Victor Hovland and I ended up betting uh, Abraham Answer on Wednesday night because when I opened up my sports book and I saw that Victor Hovland, who had taken no action over the course of the week, what uh, went from 40 to 1 to 71 to 1, I hit it again. When I saw that Abraham Answer had taken no action all week, was 250 to one and other places still had him at 80, 100, 125 to one. I hit that. And if I wasn't checking Wednesday night, I don't have an opportunity to do that. So if you have a good book, they're adjusting throughout. Here's the other thing. Books are moving based on public sentiment, right? They're adjusting throughout the week based on public sentiment and where the money's coming in. Uh, can't we agree the public isn't very smart, right? Isn't, isn't that the like number one rule in sports betting to fade the public. Well, if you're betting on Tuesday, you are the public. <laughs> you're you're doing it. You're you're the guy we should fade. Uh Wednesday night's lines are adjustments to the bad public, meaning you in theory should be able to benefit. So I've tried to make a lot of wagers Wednesday nights over Monday mornings and of course I'm avoiding Tuesday nights or Tuesdays at all costs. Um not everyone has access to shopping lines uh, across different entities. This is a layup. If you have the access to shopping lines, you need to shop when available. There are sites that aggregate this for you to make it easy, but usually it's just a few clicks away. You check DraftKings, you check FanDuel, you check Circa, you check WinBet, you check well, whatever, right? Like whatever you have access to. Uh, Bet36, like you just check them all. There are sites out there. No free ads, but Odds Checker is one of them, right? Uh, it, it's a grid. You can find the golfer that you like. It shows you the best number available. And routinely, there's large discrepancies. Guys that are 40 to one in some places are 60 to one in others. It might not matter if you're doing it for fun, right? Going back to knowing what your goals are. If you're doing it for fun, it doesn't matter. If you're doing it seriously, you're doing it professionally, it matters a lot. Um, especially if you're betting it every single week, trying to squeeze as much juice out of this as possible. We're in a time now where... Uh, sports books, for all their flaws, have never been more competitive because they're required to be competitive. As states are rolling into sports betting, you're seeing more and more competition and you're seeing just timing differences, right? If, if, if Caesars goes live in a new state, what you'll often see is much more competitive lines, right? They want the first experience that you have with them to be positive. They, they want you to look at a Caesars line and say, oh my God, 60 to one, DraftKings has them over at 30, 30 to one, 
right? They want you to have that good experience. And we're constantly in this, uh, this, this wheel that is turning where you're constantly getting some sites that are always being more competitive than others. And if you have access to all of them, you can shop it and you can find the best line. So there's never been a better time to find these competitive lines across the board and especially for golf. The opposite of that or the other part of this is the future markets seem to be the worst they've ever been, right? I, I, I can't, I don't know how to accurately describe this, but there is almost a little incentive to betting a future anymore. And what you're seeing are futures that are available for uh, major championships, right? So the Masters, the U.S. Open, the PGA, and the Open Championship. If I fire up any sports book, I can find at least those futures are available. And think about this from the sports books side. What is their incentive to hang you a really good, really competitive line on a golfer six months out? Or in this case, as you're listening to this for the Masters, it's nine months out. What's their incentive to hanging a number out there for you? They know a million things are going to change between now and nine months from now. They know that Monday week of the Masters, they're going to be able to reset and put out any lines that they want. The only people who, like, it's basically, hey, if you want to bet a major right now, have at it. We're not going to give you a great line, but you can have at it. Um, that seems to be the mindset. I just looked this up, like, five minutes ago. As of right now, for the Masters, which is in nine months, DraftKings is hanging a 20-to-1 on Brooks Kepka. 20. 2-0. Those odds should be a multiple of that, right? If we were playing this tournament today, Brooks Kepka would, would not sniff 20 to 1. He's coming off his first season where he did not have a top 10 in a major championship. He has a lot of injury concerns. Uh, he has the fact that he's that he's not playing as many competitive rounds anymore because he's a live golfer. There are a million concerns about Brooks Kepka, and if he were... If this tournament were to start today, you'd be like 80 or 100 to 1, right? Kind of like where they put Bryson DeChambeau. But they're hanging you a 20 because they're not going to get burned. There's no point in them getting burned on Brooks Kepka if he starts to show signs of life, if he starts to figure it out. The only time in which betting outright seems to be profitable is if you, or excuse me, betting futures that seems to be profitable or at least give you a little closing line value is when you're betting these mid-tier guys that you think could become stars or superstars. Um, Sam Burns comes to mind, right? If we rewound a year ago, betting Sam Burns at major championships um, would have probably given you a lot of closing line value. You might have been able to get, I don't know the numbers, but let's assume you could have gotten him 80 or 100 to 1. Week of, he's probably 40, 50, 60. So you get a little bit of closing line value there. Uh, guys like Max Homa, right, who are going to make tangible improvements to their game, who are going to get progressively better week in and week out. You're just trying to bet what he's worth now compared to what he's going to be worth in nine months. But if you're looking at stars, proven stars who have major championships already on the resume or lots of wins on the resume, these books are not giving you anything before the week of. Now, week of, again, they want to be competitive. 
that Monday reset is going to give you a lot of opportunity, especially because they know a lot of recreational players are coming in. There might be promos available. Like, there's very little incentive to betting a, a, a future right now. The only small caveat that I would carve out of that would be the week before a major championship, if a lot of guys are playing. So we kind of have to reassess how our brains think about this. Because for so long, the top players were not playing the week before majors. They wanted to rest up. They wanted to make sure their bodies were right. They wanted to practice and work on parts of their game that they think need improvement. And they would show up at the major championship fresh off of whatever break. We're seeing a lot more of these guys play the week before. Uh, especially, I mean, recent memory, we don't have to look back far to think of the Scottish Open. Now, that's a little bit different because guys are going to get acclimated. They want to play potentially some link-style golf before they play the Open Championship, but like everybody played the Scottish Open. Well, the Scottish Open is the perfect example of you need to compare the odds for the Scottish Open to what their future number is for just the next week. Uh, I'll give you a good example. For this year's Scottish Open, Jordan Spieth was uh, 28 to 1 to win the Open Championship. Well, if, if Jordan Spieth went out and played well or won the Scottish Open, they were going to slash his odds for the Open Championship. He probably would have been 14 or 16 to 1, something like that. So when you get an opportunity to, to look at a major championship board a week in advance with a lot of those guys playing, that is when you have an opportunity to kind of close the gap a little bit, right? You know, if Rory wins, Rory didn't play the Scottish Open, but if Rory wins the Scottish Open and like his odds weren't going to change for the Open Championship, they might've gotten a couple points shorter, but he was already eight to one, 10 to one, 12 to one. There's only so short that you can actually make him. That's not going to be impacted. But some of these other superstars that are already that have low or have longer future numbers, if they're playing the week before, that's your biggest chance to kind of get in before those odds get slashed because it will happen. That's the only caveat for, in my opinion, betting a major championship before week of, just with the way that we've seen the U.S. regulated market start to bear itself out over the course of the last couple of weeks, months, and years. Um, one of the big things that I don't generally hear a lot of discussion around is investing in golfers over time. This is something that I do a lot and I know that I do it a lot because I keep track of all of my bets and sometimes these end up being scrub losers and sometimes it ends up working itself out. But realistically, if I like a golfer and his chances of winning today, this week, not much is going to change in my perception of his chances for next week, right? Like what would? Uh, a really ugly miscut an injury, um, you know, if he plays well and finishes inside the top 20, how, why, why would you look at that as, as a bad thing? You know what I mean? Like there's just very little that can drastically change your opinion of a golfer week in and week out. However, most people are trying to time the market, meaning that you can say, oh, I, I like the way Max Homa's playing. I'm going to try to grab him at Riviera. And then I'm going to try to grab him at the Wells Fargo Championship or whatever, right? I'm just going to try to get in, get out, get in, get out, get in, get out, and hopefully find that guy and find the time right. How often, it might be anecdotal, but you remember these in the same way that I remember these. How often do you flip open a leaderboard on the weekend and see a guy that you bet last week constantly? 
right? Or at least it feels like it does. Uh, I don't have the, I don't, I mean, I could look through my spreadsheet, but it feels like all the time. So why did you not bet him again? If you bet him last week and he finished T13, why did you not bet him again? And the, and the idea is most people just don't like to do it. Um, I find myself betting the same guys three, four, five starts in a row. And that will hurt my return if golfer does end up winning. Um, however, I think that it is a significantly better chance of trying to grab a guy. And I think there's I think there's natural fits for some of these. You know, I did it for Aaron Wise kind of through the fall. It didn't work out very well. Um, I think there are guys that you can say, okay, here's the Florida swing. Here's three or four events. I'm going to bet him every single week. Um, I think there are guys like in the part of the season that we're in right now, this like John Deere, 3M Open, Rocket Mortgage, Wyndham stretch, like the end of the the end of the the regular season. Aren't there guys that set up well better for this time of year than others? JT Poston seems to win a lot this time of year. Cam Davis seems to contend a lot this time of year. If Webb Simpson was healthy again, he'd probably fall into this category, right? These guys that are motivated and have to charge for the playoffs get a bunch of similarly uh, just straight up PGA Tour courses for them. Like this is their time of year to shine. And there would be no, there'd be very little reason to bet Cam Davis at the 3M Open and not bet him at the Rocket Mortgage. Um, to bet JT Poston at Barracuda and not bet him at the 3M Open, right? Like, I, I, it, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around it. So I try to look at the, of these investments outside of just one week at a time, uh, but more so into, hey, is this a good stretch of golf coming up? Is this an opportunity for, for me to latch on for three or four or five weeks and see what comes out of it? And a lot of times they lose for three or four or five weeks in a row. Um, right? Because winning is still hard, but it gives you multiple bites at the apple. The best and worst places to allocate your dollars and to allocate your energy and your resources. Let's start with the best place. Uh, the best place, and I'm not sure it's close, is the live market. Books are not good at it. Books are not good at it. They're not fast enough. And there's too much for them to figure out live and in real time. And then especially like when we get to the fall portion of the schedule and uh, NFL is on Sundays and, and, and bookmakers are enamored by NFL markets as they should be because they're multiple times larger than, than the handle they're going to take in on golf markets. There's not enough resources to properly price live markets. So a couple of ways to do this. Um, the outright market live is fine. Generally, books don't want to get burned by big names. So you'll see big names who are like seven, eight shots back and they're still 25 to one. But there are guys that uh, are much longer who are playing well. And you can see it in the advanced metrics that you could click on and get at much longer odds. You could look at a guy who... There, there are natural ebbs and flows to golf rounds. Um, you know, you look at some courses where the closing stretch is very easy. And you know, hey, if a guy plays this to field average, he's going to gain, you know, he's going to shoot one and a half more strokes under par. And you can chalk him into that. Or, hey, this closing stretch or this stretch of holes is really difficult. What about on Thursday and Friday when guys are finishing on the front nine? Knowing how those holes are playing. So you could have an opportunity where... 
there's a five-hole stretch coming for a golfer where he has a par five, a drivable par four, uh, and one of the easier holes on the golf course. And you can, I hate to just give these guys strokes and say he's going to make two or three birdies during that stretch, but you're looking at that way different than oddsmakers are looking at it because oddsmakers aren't taking it into account. And you can look at it and say, okay, there's a reasonable chance that he gets one or two under par here, which I'll bet it now with that assumption. And if he does that, uh, his odds are going to be slashed. Right, so you you've got to understand the ebbs and flows. There is no better uh, market that rewards well researched, well researched betters than the live market. Uh, if you have all the information available to you, which it's all readily available, and you can make general assumptions and take action on it, you're being rewarded for your in-depth knowledge and for your research. I'm going to get to a part of the market where you're not being rewarded for that, but you are being rewarded for it here. Round-by-round matchups are still the money printing machine. Uh, Probably have said that for over a year. The idea is it's a couple of things. There are infinite number of ways for two guys to shoot the same score on the PGA Tour. Uh, You could have a golfer lose four strokes putting, uh, have two penalty shots and still shoot a 70. And you could have a guy who makes every single putt over 40 feet and, uh, you know, gets a lucky bounce off of whatever and shoots a seven. There's just an infinite number of ways to shoot the same score on the PGA tour. The underlying metrics are generally fairly good at determining how lucky that maybe that's what I need like a luck, like a luck rating. How lucky was this round or how skilled was this round? That's interesting. I'm going to look into that. But things that blow up scores that are not necessarily indicative of play or are particularly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Reactive? Proactive? I don't know. Penalty shots, right? Uh, A guy could miss the fairway, be one yard away from a hazard and be safe. A guy could hit a shot that is one yard worse and have it roll into the water. Penalty shots. Uh, and usually guys that, you know, penalty shots are not predictive. Move, you know, from one round to another. If a guy takes, hits two balls into the water, it's probably unlikely he does it again the next day. Um, obviously putting. We talk about putting all the time. If a guy gains four strokes putting and he's generally a bad putter, even if he's a good putter, that is unlikely to continue. How they how they handle the par fives. Professional golfers usually tear, tear apart the par fives. If you have a golfer who shot two under and played the par fives at one over, he thinks he left strokes out there and he probably did. And it's unlikely that he does it again. How do they play on the easy holes and the hard holes, right? If a guy is you know, shredding the hard holes and playing the easy hole. That's different than guys who are playing the, the, the easy holes more difficult, right? So you can find natural spots over the course of a round where a golfer probably got lucky or probably got a little unlucky, lucky, or just that they're going to regress back to the mean. And round by round is the best way to take action on that. The other thing is you can throw weather into it, right? Um, you can look and say, Hey, this, this guy got just blown off the golf course and shot a 70 while this guy was in prime conditions and shot a 70. The the biggest part about round-to-round matchups um, is that it's one of the few times that books are forced to do what you want them to do. 
They're not technically forced to do it, but think about this. Before a tournament starts, uh, what matchups do you get? You get matchups available of marquee or popular players. So for the 3M Open, it would have been Sung JM versus Hideki Matsuyama, Tony Finau versus Sung JM, right? It's just like combinations of the top players. Then you'd go down and you'd get Adam Long versus Adam Svensson, and you'd get uh, Adam Hadwin versus Sahith Tagala, right? Just like guys that are generally in the same part of the betting board. It's very, un it's not creative at all. And then the three balls come out when uh, the tee times come out and those are just tee time base. Makes complete sense, but not very creative. On the weekend, books are almost forced to give you guys who are playing together, right? They're playing in the same group and groups are based on what score they're at. Well, we've already determined that there's a lot of different ways to get to the same score. So you are often going to have two players who are playing together, who are playing completely differently, who have ended up in the same spot. And books can't really get creative here. One, they don't want to. Their work is done for them. Just put the guys who are playing together in a matchup. The other thing is um, they don't want to have to consider the other outside factors. They don't want to have to consider, is the wind going to blow in the morning but not in the afternoon? doesn't matter if the matchup is two guys from the same tee time, they're going to be impacted the same. So they are forced to do what you want them to do, which is put guys together at the same score. And then you look at that and say, how'd they get here? Right? Are they five strokes over expectation with the putter? Are they five strokes below expectation with the putter? Yeah, it's a real thing. I actually, um, so I added this to rickrungood.com. On the showdown cheat sheet, you can look at all the live leaderboard stats that you can get, but compared to expectation. You know, even great putters, a guy who gains three strokes putting, um, JT Poston, who's generally a very good putter, maybe that's a bad example. Like Denny McCarthy, very good putter. If he gains four strokes putting, like, yeah, of, co of course, he's a very good putter, uh, but that's not going to happen again. Denny at his best is like, what, three quarters of a stroke, a stroke maybe, you're still going to see some regression there. And then you have a guy who, like, I don't know, Hideki Matsuyama is a much improved putter, but let's call it Hideki Matsuyama. If he puts to a zero, that still might be above his expectation. So a lot of different ways to get there. You've got to look at expectation, but there's no other market in which odds makers are really required to do what you want them to. So that's still by far the best market. Use the live leaderboard on rickrungood.com. It's, it's literally free. Compare... Uh, ball striking metrics versus uh, strokes gained putting metrics. If you have access to the site, you go to the showdown cheat sheet. There is to expectation. It's all there for you. It is a simple math problem that books are required to play themselves into. The worst place to allocate your time, your attention, your money is unfortunately the outright market. It's the sexiest too, right? Sexiest place is always generally the worst place to put your, to put your money. Um, you're just not as rewarded for your research. Think about how much you're rewarded in live round-by-round -round stuff. If you know how the golfers are playing, how they generally play, weather, uh, the golf course, all of that knowledge is richly rewarded in the live markets. It's not really rewarded in outright markets for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think the biggest one is so few golfers actually win. So I went and looked it up. There's been 41 individual events this year, 41 individual events. 
30 different guys have won. 30 sounds like a lot. It's not, right? Scotty has four. Scotty Scheffler, Cam Smith, Xander Shoffley, Sam Burns have three wins. Max Homa, Hideki, Rory all have two. And then a bunch of everybody else has one, right? So that's, geez, that's even three, six, nine, uh, nine, six, 15, nine, 19 of those 30 different. No, 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 that's wrong. I'm an idiot. 30 different golfers have won 41 different events. If you only know 30 guys, that's great for you. But if you're well-researched, which by the way, if you're here listening to this and you've gotten this far in the pod, you're in like the top 5%. You are not being rewarded for your knowledge of golfers 31 through 200, right? I, I just got off the phone with, with Andy Lack, or it, was a, it wasn't on the phone, it was on YouTube. He made a really good point. He said, my edge in golf betting is that I know more about Lee Hodges than you. That's an exact quote. And that was like, yes. Correct. The edge is I know more about golfers 31 through 200 than you. That's not rewarded in the outright market uh, because golfers 31 through 200, Lee Hodges, probably not going to win. But are there a lot of markets that he can win you money in? Of course there are. Fini ex uh, finishing positions, extended finishing positions, top 40 markets. Top 40 markets are basically like, which of these scrubs is better than the other scrubs? And if you are well-researched and following the trends and understanding the golf course and doing all the stuff that we do on a weekly basis, you know the answer to that. Those are money printing scenarios, uh, as opposed to now asking some of these guys at 150 or 200 to one odds to actually win the golf tournament. Uh, while there are you know, holds everywhere. Some of these outright market holds are are fairly outrageous. And if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, like the money that's built into how much these sports books are going to make, the VIG, the rake, the hold, you'll hear me describe it all different ways. If you take the implied odds of every single golfer in the field on the board and add it all up, it'll be like 125%, 140%. Well, obviously that doesn't add up. That that difference there is, is what odds makers have, have built in. And if they have a completely efficient market, uh, they are making that amount over time and they don't care who wins, right? As long as they're always efficient and they're always getting kind of the money spread out in those, in those ways. Um, that still exists in other markets, but not to the extreme because they know people are going to go and bang the outright market until they lose their mind, which it's fun. That's the, that's the main point. So find the markets that you're being most rewarded for your knowledge, for your time, for your energy, for your hard work. They're, they exist and they're not the outright market. Jock, that's why I love jock market. Like I, sure, I, I haven't partnered up with those guys. I love those guys. That is truly one of the only markets in the world, and someone can tell me if I'm wrong here, in which you could conceivably make money on every single golfer in the field. Every single one. Not top 40, not top 60, not make the cut. Every single one. Because all you're asking of those golfers is to outperform their expectation. Their expectation might be a 53rd place finish. Well, top 53rd markets don't exist. Top 53 markets don't exist. 
In jock market, it does, right? So that's where I think is that's the extreme. You've got outrights on on one end of the spectrum, jock market on the other in terms of how can you best allocate your resources, your time, your energy, and how many golfers are actually available to you to bet on? Because as for, and, and you know, daily fantasy, I suppose, is as well because you do, every golfer in the field is available to you, right? A golfer could be priced at $6,500, $6,000. That golfer is available to you, which it's not realistic in a lot of other markets. Um, but still, there are constraints. A $50,000 salary cap, that's a constraint. Uh Jock market doesn't even have those constraints. You could buy one share of of every single golfer. You could buy hundred shares of five golfers. Like there's no, there's really no constraints. So it really is a different mindset. All in all, I, I when I sat down and did this, I I got to those nine tips. Those are the ones I got to. Know your goals. Make a plan. Be first or be last. Shop when available. Futures are getting worse. The week before a major with a lot of guys playing is the only caveat. That's number six. Invest in golfers over time. That's number seven. Live is getting better. That's eight. And outright markets are the worst is nine. That's, this is when I went to Twitter and I typed in, what's the best golf betting tip that you know? And a lot of them were not good. A lot of them were jokes, which I appreciate. It was like, ah, fade your picks. I was like, yeah, probably. Um, or it was like, uh, lean your hands forward and just clip the grass when you're chipping. I'm like, you missed the word that said golf betting, but I appreciate the short game tip. So nothing good came out of that. Uh, so number 10 is just have fun. And I know it's kind of counterintuitive to what number one is. Number one, your entire goal might be having fun, but I do this seriously and still have fun. Um, golf is a sick, sick, cruel game. I'll never forget Russell Henley holding, what, five shots, uh, with nine to go. I can't remember what tournament it was, but five shots clear with nine to go. It's over. Chalk it up. Community win. Here we go. Russell Huntley, like 40 to one. It's over. There's no way he can cough this up. Yeah, he coughed it up. Yeah. JT comes back from seven to win the PGA championship. Mito Prayer makes double on the 72nd hole that same week. That was probably like 100 to one that week. It's a cruel, sick game. Uh, there's a lot you can't control in terms of weather, in terms of bounces, in terms of anything else. All you can control is your mindset. All you can control is how you react to all of these situations, good or bad. It's the only thing that you can control. And I encourage you to uh, control it well and have fun. Enjoy yourselves. Okay. That'll do it. Uh, again, Blue Wire Studio, win Las Vegas for me. It's the land of, I get so excited when I come down this trip. It's like the land of opportunity. Um, you can tweet me, let me know what you think. See if you can have it. I actually add a 10th, a 10th tip to this by tweeting me or leaving a comment. It's at Rick Run Good on Twitter. Best of luck, and I'll talk to you guys soon.